0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: We're just saying that it's off
0: to a nice start. Why does it have to be all or nothing all the time? Like, what am I doing? I'm doing it for the show. Feel the 68 till I die.
2: This is... The Field of 68 After Dark Show, the only place that you need to be for college hoops every single night. And we are live. It is the Wednesday evening edition of the Field of 68 After Dark. We are on Sirius XM Channel 84. That is the ESPNU station where you are also streaming live over on YouTube. So if you are watching there, please hit that like button, jump in the chat, ask us some questions. We will be answering them. During breaks, we are presented by our partners over at Bet River Sportsbook. My name is Rob Dosser. I'm joined tonight by former Arizona head coach Sean Miller and former Indiana head coach Archie Miller. They are related, if you guys were not aware. We're going to be talking a little bit about this Kentucky LSU game. We have to dive into Auburn, and we will be touching on uh, the Michigan Wolverines getting a win without head coach Jawan Howard tonight. But before we do any of that, the wildest game in college basketball this season happened tonight. We had triple overtime. We had buzzer beaters. We had monitors that froze. We had rain coming down from the ceiling in the rafters uh, arch. Have you ever seen anything like this, Providence Xavier game?
3: No, that was one of the wilder games that uh, that you will see. I mean, it had it had all the all the makings, you know, going on at one time. You also had two teams playing like life was on the line. I mean, you had Xavier credit. They had a number of guys step up and, and, and be right there multiple times to win the game. But Providence, Providence is, is a hard kill. I mean, they, they have found a way this year to do that. What they did tonight, it seems like 10 times and uh, being their third overtime win in four games, they just have a bunch of guys that are used to it. And, you know, really, it comes down to guard play in those type of situations. And Jared Bynum, you can't give him enough credit what he's doing for Providence right now. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, Jared Bynum um, hit the big three in the third overtime before he started cramping up to, uh, to give Providence a five-point lead. The final ended up being 99-92. Bynum finished with 27 points uh, coming off of the bench. Al Durham had 13-6. and six. Uh, Nate Watson was held a little bit in check, but he made a couple big plays down the stretch. Uh, Sean, what's your, what's your takeaway from this Providence team? We were talking about it a little bit before we went on air. They are 23-3. They have a two-game lead over the field, in the Big East, which is one of the better conferences in college basketball this season, and they rank
4: 46th in Kempom. That doesn't happen ever. Well, Rob, you know, I think you have to just, uh, you know, tonight, I I think we have to just give Providence all the respect in the world. Um, They're just in and have been in an abundance of close games, hard-fought games, in a terrific conference, and they've come out on top almost in an improbable way, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's coaching. Sometimes it's the individual player making big plays at timely in a timely situation. And sometimes I think it's just all out will, and you know, what Providence's fans and what the dunk has turned into, which I think this year, one of the most exciting arenas to watch a game in all of college basketball, they should share in some of the joy as well. It's their will that I think inspires that group. It's not easy to play Providence right now at home and beat them. And if you do it, it's a Herculean effort like, you know, Villanova was able to accomplish. But, Rob, I would just say from my perspective being out West, and obviously I'm a big fan of the Big East, having played in it a billion years ago, you know, you watch the UConn-Villanova game earlier in the week, and then you watch tonight, Providence and Xavier, and it's just – Big East basketball. What an exciting conference, uh, filled with terrific coaches, great home courts. I think just the passion in New England really shines through. Watching both UConn and Providence, uh, where they're at, and you know, I think Ed Cooley. There's there's certain things that have to happen to be named the national coach of the year, and I think tonight was one of those things that you have to start really looking hard at. What guy deserves it more than Ed Cooley? What guy? I, mean, I I don't know if you can. There's a lot in his company, or at least a few in his company, but what he has done with that team is uh, is extraordinary.
2: Yeah, one I would say deserves some consideration is playing right now on ESPN. That is John Calipari uh, for what he's yep. done with Kentucky. But I, I do. You you mentioned you played in the Big East, Sean. Um, when you were there, did they have the gremlin in the ceiling that turned on the faucet whenever Providence was down (laughs) late in the game? No, that's
4: right. Uh, How about that? Uh, You know, one of the questions I have is where'd the water go? I mean, for a minute there, (laughs) I thought they were talking about busing the teams to the on-campus venue and finishing the game uh, without TV. And next thing you know, the court dried off. So whoever was in charge of cleaning up that mess, man, what a great job they did.
2: My source says they, they sent Fanta up on a ladder to the roof and he just started drying off all of the rafters with the towels from his uh, his hotel room down the street. Yeah,
4: yeah. He, <laughs> I, I don't know if he was on the roof. I'll stop there. I mean, he may have had something to do with it. He may have sent someone else on the roof.
3: If he was on the roof, he would have came through with the water onto the floor.
4: <laughs> but, but but you know what? In all seriousness, though, uh, you know, think about a game in, in Hartford, and what that meant to UConn's program and you know the, the rise of UConn in the Big East, which we talked about as far back as the month of November, like how great it is to have UConn truly back in the Big East and now thriving. It seems like it helps the Big East. It helps UConn and uh, in New England. And then, you know, now you watch Providence in this game and look, Xavier deserves a lot of credit, like. You know, some people want Xavier to break through and win one of these close ones here down the stretch. There was really no loser in tonight's game. I thought they were the better team for most of the night. They had a couple opportunities to win the game. They didn't. Providence made the plays, and Providence ended up being the winner.
2: So let's talk about some of those decisions down the stretch and those plays, Arch. Uh, Providence, uh, the first one I want to go to is the foul that that Jack Nungee committed right where he was for the people that didn't see it uh xavier was up but was down by one there was seven seconds left on the clock he was at half court xavier uh providence had the ball under their own basket looking to go full court to try to get the ball and they were going to get fouled and nunji just basically bear hugged Nate watson at half court to try to intentionally foul him put on the foul line it ended up being was it a flagrant intention? i'm not sure exactly what the call i think was, it was a flagrant
3: ended- one It was a flagrant one, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, he, he wasn't an eligible receiver at the, at that point when the ball went live, the official was standing right next to him and it looked like a blatant foul that wasn't even a part of the action. So you could see where it was called. I doubt very highly that Xavier, his staff or their team told him to do that. Maybe even Jack didn't, wasn't aware uh, of, of the rule. Maybe he thought he was going to get a dead ball foul, but it was clearly, um, you know, there's a there's a rule in place for that. You can't intentionally foul a guy when the ball is really not in, in or in action. It's a, it's a foul that, uh, you know, is very rarely called to be honest with you in that situation, but uh, you know, they were able to get a foul shot out of that. I think one make from Nate Watson Um, the game ended up going, you know, to the third overtime because of the missed free throw on the, on the, on the next play. But uh, that foul uh, was a tough one to take at that point in time in the game. That was a, Look, that's the
4: difference between the NBA and college, Rob, in that that's the hack-a-shack, right? You can't intentionally grab somebody that's away from the action. He's not an available receiver. He doesn't have the ball in his hands. He's not cutting to receive the ball. He's just standing. You saw it on the other side of half court within three feet of the official. If to, to bear hug him, you just committed an intentional foul. You're not allowed to do that in college. It was the correct call. It was a big, big play. In, in, the, in the game, uh, really. I mean, Providence could have put it away right then and there. So I know Xavier lived for another day, but those special situations as we get towards the end of the season, boy, these are the teachable moments for both Providence and Xavier where you want to learn from what you did right and what you did wrong so that when, you know, this single elimination tournament, whether it's the Big East tournament or the NCAA tournament and you're participating in both, that, that when that play happens again, that you make the correct play and help your team win. And, you know, that's the beauty of playing in a conference like the Big East. There's so many lessons that these players are learning throughout the course of, of league play in January and February.
2: All right, so you mentioned a little bit earlier, Sean, about uh, the Big East and how it kind of feels um, great having UConn back, and it feels a little bit old Big East vibes. I do think it's important to note That by winning this game, Providence ensured they still have a two game lead over Villanova in the Big East regular season standings. They have to play Creighton at home on Saturday, and then they end their regular season at Villanova uh, on Tuesday. Win one of those games, and you get your first Big East regular season title in the history of Providence in the Big East, which has been like, I think, 43. that's why Ed no. Cooley
3: will be national coach of the year right there. Mm-hmm. He's, done, he's done something that they've never done before. And it's his and, program. Uh, and it's, he's been yeah, there for how many years now? Yeah, it's his. And um, that's why he should be if they can pull it out. That Creighton game, by the way, I know the Villanova game is going to be on the road and it's the end of the season, but that Creighton game on Saturday will be every bit as hard as the one they just played tonight. Creighton is playing really well. Nemhard, I think Nemhard is Nemhard out. He got hurt tonight, right? Yeah.
2: He's getting x-rays right now on a wrist. I didn't see the fall, but it sounded like it was it looked it looked pretty bad. That would be a killer Um, for Creighton. It would be. Because he's probably
3: is he not the big East freshman of the year?
2: He's got to be up there if he's not. I
3: mean, I would think he's playing almost 35 minutes a game for him. He's probably the big East Freshman of the Year. That would be a a style. He's really good. Yeah, Yeah. really good player.
2: Yeah. All right. So let's talk a little bit about that UConn Villanova game last night because it was back-to-back nights where we just had utter insanity um, in the Big East. Kamani Young uh, comes off the bench after Dan Hurley gets two technical fouls uh, about ten minutes into the game. Uh, what did you guys? What did you guys think of those texts? Was it right? Was it wrong? I, I I don't think that that Danny necessarily deserved to get run in that moment, but it kind of felt like this was something where referees were like, yeah, you know what? You've, you've done enough. I, I don't, I don't want to hear it anymore. I'm, in my, I'm, I'm
3: in my opinion, Rob, Danny got tossed last night, probably for weeks or games leading into that. Maybe that official uh, had run-ins at, at the course of the time, or maybe there has been some warnings leading in to the, to the officials that, Hey, if he gets out of hand, or if, if it gets, you gotta, you gotta get him, but uh, to get tossed on that, um, uh, was odd, probably shouldn't have happened in that type of a game. Usually the officials, to, to get tossed, you got to do a lot. But it seemed to me that was something that was leading into that, maybe even a prior, a prior thing or a prior warning that, that didn't come. But uh, for him to get tossed in the game that early, um, I'm sure he didn't try. What, what do hey, you, Rob, what do you... I'm going to
4: say this. I don't know if I've seen an assistant coach in really not just one, but the whole staff – do a better job than UConn staff did. Oh man. Once Danny, you know, was no longer on the bench, because that's part two. Can your team function? Do they respect who's on the bench? And then when you get into those late game situations and you have Jay Wright and Villanova down the other end, and you have to come out of timeouts and execute, like some two of times. the things some of the things that UConn did, and it wasn't just on offense, you know, they got into their press seamlessly after a made field goal. They tied him up without fouling. I mean, they they did, and Kamani deserves a ton of credit. You know, I, I know uh, Tommy and Luke Murray as well. You know, that's why you have to have a great staff, and I'm sure Danny, I'm sure, has addressed that today, but I'm sure he's really proud of, you know, his team, his program, and that staff, because that was a pivotal game for UConn, and those guys did a great job. It would have been very easily for them to cave in especially in crunch time against Villanova. And not only did they not cave in, they thrived. So I think Kamani deserves a lot of credit and he had a job well done.
2: Yeah. he. Have you guys ever been in that situation as an assistant where you had to take over for a coach that was thrown out? I don't no.
4: believe I have.
2: You're, no. You were on the other end. You were the guys that got run.
4: Yeah. I got run one time and, uh, <laughs> I so didn't I'd, get, I've
3: never yeah. got, I've never gotten run. Um, uh, so I, and I don't believe I've ever been in a situation where the guy that I worked for, uh, got tossed as well.
4: Yeah. Once in 17 years, I deserved it, but it is a hard <laughs> thing. And, uh, I'm sure when Danny was watching that game and not being able to coach that, you know, there's a big party <laughs> that wanted his team to come out on top because, uh, I think it reflects really well on him, reflects really well on the staff and, and really the entire UConn program. That was an epic game. I mean, Rob, it was no different than tonight's game, Providence-Xavier, except we didn't get into like the, the multiple overtimes. But man, what a great game.
2: Yeah, and there was no rain coming down from the ceiling either. What I need, I need the, the cameras from the locker room so we can see what Danny Hurley was doing as he was watching that game. Downstairs.
3: You didn't need a camera to see that. He was on the telephone. He was on the telephone talking. He was on the telephone talking to the league office, the league commissioner, the associate commissioner, um, his AD. I mean, he he was he was definitely communicating with some people before he got out there. You know, I know Bobby. I know
4: Bobby and Danny very well, Arch. I know you do as well. And I've coached against Bobby, obviously, a lot, but also Danny at both Rhode Island and UConn and. Uh, I always looked at at Danny as being the better behaved Hurley. I don't <laughs> believe that's true. I, I give the nod to Bobby. And if you noticed the other night, he even put a mask on, and I don't even think he had to against UCLA, just maybe to temper his enthusiasm. But I'm here to tell you, I'm going to give the nod to, to to Bobby right now on his behavior. I think he has surpassed Danny.
2: Let me ask you guys this, just kind of big picture, in the Big East. We've seen what Providence can do in close games. Uh, we've seen we know what Villanova is when they are at their best. We know what they are just in terms of how old they are, how how uh, how skilled they are, how smart they are, all the Villanova stuff. We've now seen UConn won, win four straight games, three in a row at home against tournament teams and one on the road at St. John's. That was a tough kind of uh, play ugly win um, that you got to get when, when you're kind of in those moments. If you have to pick one of those teams from the Big East to make a run to the final four, make a run deep in March. Uh, who are you guys back in arts? we're going to go to you first on this one.
3: I'll go with the, uh, the easy bet, which is Villanova. They're the most experienced. Um, they're the most, you know, veteran hardened group. They have their style, their system, their, their, their uh, culture, so to speak. And I think that Villanova as they enter NCAA tournament play has a chance to win multiple games. I don't know if they're a final four team I can't say that but if you're playing Villanova round one if you're playing Villanova round two you're going to have to look at them and say they're the favorite and if they get another week to play in a sweet 16 versus uh, I don't know what type of a seed it would be I could make the case they'll be favored in the third game too so I think Villanova is a team that on paper you would probably pencil in as a team that's got to win some games but It's hard to look at Providence and think they're not having a magical season. And it's also hard to look at UConn right now and say they're not built to beat people as big and strong and as talented as they are.
4: I think, you know, Ed Cooley's going to be the national coach of the year. He's going to be the coach of the year in the Big East. All credit given to Providence. But um, style of play and who has the best point guard of of those teams. I know each one of them has a, a meaningful one but I don't think Colin Gillespie gets enough credit for how good of an individual player that he is. You know, sometimes when you play at Villanova because they have such a team approach and they've done it for so long, it it reminds me kind of when Jalen Brunson was in his prime at Villanova, did everybody really give him enough credit for the great individual talent and player he was? He was kind of like in a myriad of, of greatness of winning national championships and, Big East Championships. And I think with Colin Gillespie, the reason you don't want to play Villanova in the NCAA tournament is like they have a guy on their team who can get 25 or 30 in a slowdown game with a great coach. And I think that makes Villanova the hardest team to beat out of the Big East.
2: All right. Let's uh let's pivot over to the SEC. Um, we had Auburn in action tonight. They knocked off Ole Miss. Uh, and we have Kentucky, which is coming to an end here. They are up 68 to 62 with under a minute left against LSU at home playing without their two guards. I want to start with Auburn first uh, because uh, Arch, I made this argument to you the other day. I think that you can say that Walker Kessler is as valuable, if not more valuable to Auburn for what he does defensively around the rim as a as a lob target, as a vertical spacer than Oscar Chibwe is for Kentucky, despite the fact that Oscar Chibwe uh, could end up winning national player of the year. Is that, is that crazy to say?
3: No, it's, it's accurate. I mean, let's just talk about what he did again tonight, 12 points, 10 rebounds, eight blocks. I mean, you have a center averaging, you know, literally almost a triple double in sec play a- at numerous times this year. He's had almost triple double. As crazy and as staggering as Oscar's numbers are, which they're historic, you're not going to find probably another guy duplicate those type of numbers. Walker Kessler's numbers are equally as impressive when you counter the block shots and what he's Mm -hmm. done for their defense. They lead America in block shots. And uh, to me, if you take Walker Kessler off Auburn's team, there's a significant drop-off. There really is in terms of long-term. And, he could be the player of the year, you know, I'm sure there's some coaches in the sec that would say if they didn't have that guy, things would be different, you know, and he's that important. When you look at what he's doing, um, what Oscar's doing. And I would add Sean's guy, Christian Coloco right now, after watching him play Oregon the other night, that if you took Christian Coloco off Arizona's team, I think it's a drastically different team. It's an underrated defense at Arizona strictly because they have one guy who's so dynamic and dominant at a front court position and what he's doing. But Walker Kessler could be put up there as player of the year in the conference. And you wouldn't hear peep out of me, his numbers and his style, what he's done for them defensively, just crazy. And um, they held, they held Ole Miss to 37% from the floor, 30 from three. They blocked um, how many shots they block again tonight as a team, they blocked nine more blocks and uh, eight more steals in the game. I mean, Auburn's a tough out and they're not even playing real well on offense right now.
4: Mm-hmm. I, I would bring this point up, Rob. Uh, if you if you put Mark Williams in that conversation and his meeting to Duke on both offense and defense and what he does for their team, and then you have Oscar and Kessler, which you guys just you know hit on in a big way, the thing that's different about Christian Coloco at Arizona is because a lot of times they're playing two bigs. Some of the teams that you're talking about They have a forward, a wing player at the four, and then the players like Kessler's a true five, right? Oscar is the center. Mark Williams is is the five. With Arizona, sometimes Christian Coloco switches. Like he'll guard the four, and they'll be able to switch. If you look at the last possession of the Oregon-Arizona game, when Oregon was trying to... If, if you he's look switching the last on to a point guard, probably. he's switching on to a two guard as a seven foot center. He's 20 feet, 25 feet from the basket and he can't get a shot up. So he's not only blocking shots, defensive rebounding, catching lobs, scoring with a lot of efficiency, but he has that component to their defense. And I think that's one thing that sometimes as you look at Arizona playing fast and scoring and moving the ball, they win because of their defense just as much their defense is top 10 in the country and that's what makes them such a dangerous threat right now but coloco he might not be right at the level of a couple of those guys but i put him like a slight notch below for the reason that i that i just gave you yeah you
2: guys mentioned it a little bit but walker kessler including the 8 blocks that he had tonight is averaging Uh, I'm doing the math in my head right now. He's averaging 5.6 blocks per game in 16 games in SEC play, which is just ridiculous. I don't think I've ever heard of anything like, in a power conference, averaging five and a half blocks. And
4: then look at what Oscar's doing, rebounding in the same Mm -hmm. conference. Both of them are doing things that in the last 25 years in SEC, you could probably just name a few names in their company. And those names are like, long time NBA players, maybe an even NBA all-star.
3: Yeah. Yep. I mean, it's, it's, yep. it's, it's crazy. Um, some of the statistical numbers that they, that both of those guys have put up.
4: Hey Rob, this past weekend, it was Charles Barkley's birthday. Did you guys happen to like, see any of the clips of him when he played at Auburn? There was a couple of videos like tributes to him as a player. And you know, everybody's like fallen in love with him as a broadcaster. And you remember him as an NBA player and part of the dream team, but did you ever really catch his act as a college player? Like how athletic and ridiculous that dude was! It's unbelievable, man. I mean, when you mm-hmm. talk about all the all-time greats never play college basketball. I mean, it, I would be curious to see where he stacks up.
2: Yep, he's he's one of the best. But listen, we gotta we gotta pay the bills really quick. Coming up next, we have Ed Cooley with us live after that oh, three overtime nice. win over Xavier. Let me welcome on to the field of sixty-eight after dark, the one and only Ed Cooley, head coach of the Providence Friars, fresh there. off just- of a uh, three overtime win over Xavier at home at the Dunk. Ed, what's going on, man? How you feeling? You gonna you, you're, you gonna be able to stay awake for us for the rest of this interview?
5: Yeah, I'm 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 a little tired, but you know when I it was Miller time. I didn't know it was Miller time. Uh, you know on the <laughs> Zoom, so I got my guys, and I appreciate you having me on. I just thought it was a great college basketball game. The environment, both teams are playing really hard. There were a lot of mistakes made. There were a lot of great plays made. I thought attrition and, you know, conditioning came into play on both sides. So just a really good college basketball game.
3: Ed, you know, Ed, Ed, uh, uh, you, you look fresh. It's like your season's been going <laughs> as smooth as any guy out there right now. Smooth. <laughs> I mean, you're – you, you win – with ease it's so easy out there you guys make it look simple but in all seriousness your team has has a uh, resiliency and uh, to me in knowing your team um, it always starts and stops with your guards it seems like jared bynum and al have done an amazing job for you in terms of their leadership but more importantly they, they have a will about them in games and uh, those two guys as a one-two punch um it's a great combo for you and what they're doing. How proud are you? Are those two? And, and the second thing is just, Al, you know, I know he's dealing with a little bit of an abdominal issue. Hopefully that's not going to be too much that he can't handle.
5: Yeah. So, I mean, I think it acted up again during the game today. We, we definitely put not a play at him last week. Um, so he's rested well, but I think he re-aggravated it again. Um, uh, Jared, Jared's got some, got some issues right now, just dealing with some soreness. But those two guys, they come in and prepare every day, Coach. They prepare, that you know, they're always in the gym. They're always getting extra shots up. I think it's a credit to the staff getting them in there. With you know, our staff work with those guys, and they're doing a great job. So I appreciate you recognizing that.
4: Hey Ed, I want to know who was in charge of getting the water off the roof.
5: Um, I'm, I'm going to say Noah's Ark. Right? So I would say <laughs> Noah. <laughs> I mean, I was getting ready to.
3: I was getting ready to say yeah. that game was in the balance. It looked like you needed an extra timeout. Who turned the faucet on?
5: Absolutely. So I mean, I, I want to credit the people in the building because they didn't face us. If anything, you know. Um, and the officials were like, "Well, what do we do?" I'm like, "I'm not an age guy. I mean, don't ask me that." You know? So it, it was. You know, uh,
4: hey, on TV, Ed, they were talking about that you guys may bus to to your other gym on campus and finish the game there. <laughs> And then the next thing you know, like the water disappeared and the fryers came out on top. So, uh, man, that was – hey, listen, I have one question, though. I'm going to say that you instructed your player to foul up three the second time, and he tried to do it, missed them, and then gave up the three in the second overtime. Is that that how it happened? hundred percent.
5: Now, he was cramping up. And he said, "Coach, once he got head and shoulders by me, I was afraid because I didn't want to give up a four-point play." And and you know, credit Scruggs, credit him. So we, you know, anytime under, I mean, I'm fouling. I mean, you right. know, I'm not the brightest guy, but I'm fouling. Everything to yep. goes go so well for you to lose the game and for them to win the game, he just said he coach. He said uh, I couldn't catch him. So at least yeah. he was honest. <laughs> yeah, at least he was yeah, honest. No,
4: no for <laughs> sure. But I, hey, I, man, I, what a great, what a great win. I, 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 it's it. I told you this earlier when you and I spoke, but. Just watching what what basketball is like in New England, you know the dunk. The dunk has become one of the most exciting home courts in all of college basketball. Ed, you deserve a lot of credit, and you know this season's not only helping this team, but you're you're helping next year and the year after right now because the brand of Providence is just expanding throughout the country. Like you watch a Providence game on TV, and it like. It basically makes you feel like this is what college basketball should be about. Your fans deserve a lot of credit.
5: And I'm glad you recognize that I've been, uh, have been in a lot of buildings coach. You know, we've coached a lot of games. We've been in a lot of host- this year's Friar fans. And again, we have 4,200 students. I think we're getting like 3,700 students to come to the game, which is wow. it's unheard of. And the environment that coach, you can't get a ticket into the building, which is awesome as the coach, but at yep. the same time, our players talk about the energy and the enthusiasm from the city, from the state. And then in this building, it's actually hard to give commands in it. You know, I yeah. mean, my voice is really, really sore because you can't talk.
4: Yeah, no, I think part of your teams will, you know, it's like, you're all in it together. You got the city, you got your students, you got your staff, you got your team. You know, like it, it's that will you have to beat everybody when you play you right now. And I think that's why you're going to win your first ever Big East championship, which oh, is going to be a great moment.
5: <laughs> I hope so. I mean, we I mean, we got a tough Creighton team coming in here. I, I hope people are hanging from the ceilings again. You know, um, yes, I may. Uh, you know what? I'll even say it on here. I'm going to find two tickets for two fans that will have a trivia question out there that Arthur Parks will put out there. You know, and, uh, good luck, Arthur. Good luck. Um <laughs> you know but i just want to thank and appreciate them because they've been great they've been great the yeah. whole year they've been great the whole year
2: yeah. and i want to i want to ask you this if you win on saturday you you lock up your first uh the providence providence's first big east regular season title like what what would that mean to the city to get that done
5: well obviously y'all know i mean i was born and raised in this in, in this area and obviously in the city i think it's a credit to administration i think it's a credit to Bob Driscoll and, and Father Sicard in our administration for putting the infrastructure into place to build a championship level program. You know, Bob Driscoll talks about 100% graduation rate, most respected, and compete for championships. And that's something that we talk to our players about a lot. But what would it mean to me as a person from here? Come on, man. I don't know if there's a word that can talk about it. You know, yeah. being born and raised here and always wanting to play here, and I wasn't good enough, I was terrible. Um, but to be a coach in the city that you grew up with is, is, is really, really special. That, that's more special than you realize.
4: Yeah. Well, don't let us jinx you, man. I know you got to get that last one. But if I'm, uh, if I'm predicting, I'm going to say that you're going to cut down the nets and, and you're going to win your first ever Big East regular season championship, which is, I mean, that is one heck of a thing considering how long Providence has been. In the Big East Conference, I mean, it—it it really, it's incredible the way you guys have done it, Ed. So continued success, man. Get some rest.
5: We're going to try, and I and I know Creighton's going to have a lot to say about that, and Coach McDermott maybe may maybe swinging at you when he sees you. But it's a forty-minute opportunity. We talk to our guys about, about it all the time. We live in the moment. Go one and zero today. We went one and zero today. Hopefully, go one and zero on Saturday and try to compete for you know for a championship.
2: Ed, I got one last question for you before we let you go. No Do problem. you know the words to the Taylor Swift song? Can you sing it for us? Who? <laughs>
5: Taylor Swift. Nah, nah, no, nah, 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 nah. Taylor Swift. I know Barry White. I know Lou Rawls. You know, I know Luther Vandross. And again, I, I mean, I know, I, I know the singer. But come on, man, I'm 52 years old, bro. I mean, I, I'll try to learn it for the next time. But if you hey. put on some Barry, Ed. I got
3: you. Hey Ed, there's a, there's a. You'll watch the TV game or ask your SID, but. There was a student in your student section that was 88 years old or something. He looked like the friar mas- He looked like the friar mascot. I thought you had Lee Corso at the game in the student <laughs> section. Who is that guy and where did he come from? I don't know. Maybe he's Lee's neighbor. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you got to
4: see it though. Yeah, you, you got to really like you talk about give a guy a ticket. I tell you, have someone dig that
5: footage up. You'll understand.
2: Yeah, I'm it was actually sure, Jeff I'm Goodman. So sure
5: to go viral on those two tickets, so out the parks got his hands full, fellas. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. And it was actually Jeff Goodman. Just so that, that's who it was. It wasn't the course. Right, well, it was it was Jeff Goodman. <laughs> Appreciate you, man. Thanks for coming on. Thanks
5: Ed, a lot. Good hey. luck Saturday, man. Miller time. I love you guys. Good Great luck, to Ed. See you. Yep, I got you, baby. <laughs> oh,
4: man.
2: And we're back. This is the field of 68 after dark. We are live on Sirius XM channel 84, the ESPNU station. We are streaming on YouTube. If you are over there right now, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, jump in the chat, ask us a question. We will be answering them during the breaks. Uh, we had to, we had to cut out of our um, Kentucky segment to get Ed on. Uh, but I do want to ask you guys this real quick before we have to go to our next break. Kentucky is playing without their starting backcourt right now. Uh, they came from behind. To beat an Alabama team that threw their best punch at Kentucky on Saturday. Tonight they were down by ten uh, in the second half, and they came back to beat LSU at home. Now neither Alabama or LSU are are, are great teams, right? But those are two tournament teams. They're going to be teams that are seated in the top eight, uh, and Kentucky beat them without their starting backcourt. Arch, what is what does this say about Kentucky? What does this say about Coach Cal? Like how how difficult is that to do?
3: It's very difficult to do when, number one, they're not playing a ton of players. So it's not as if two guys go out and, hey, you just put two guys in the game that are, are regulars. You know, you know Mince now having to play the point guard slot almost for 40 minutes. They slide in a freshman, Bryce uh, Hopkins, tonight. He gets 13 playing the three spot for him. Uh, it just shows to me, and I think Sean would probably agree, Kentucky has a real toughness about him. I mean they really do their players compete and regardless of who's in the game, you know, missing two guards, they defend. And they have Oscar inside rebounding the ball and if you defend and rebound, to me that's their recipe. Then you add in the talent and all their other guys, the offense can can kind of, you know, crank it up on you, but they won these last two games out of pure grit and toughness. Guys are playing some extended minutes, but When you look at it, Oscar had 17 points and 16 rebounds tonight. Their backcourt got 26 between them and they held you know, LSU to 36% from the floor. And they won the rebounding battle 36 to 24, plus 12 on the glass. And uh, you're gonna win a lot of games doing that, but you gotta give him credit, man. He's got those guys locked in and they are playing hard, they're competing. And uh, Cal's done as good a job as anybody in the country with his team. There's probably not a team- That's improved as much as Kentucky throughout the course of the year. And they've been as impressive as anybody here in the last month. I mean, they won nine games a year ago. They completely resurrected
4: their roster for the first time. Maybe in his tenure at Kentucky, he built his roster a completely different way. We were talking earlier, Rob, about the age of the players that were in tonight's game that played for Kentucky he now has that blend of experience with the young talent. And with that experience, I think it's taken them to another level. You know, it's interesting. If you compare all of his teams at Kentucky, and Lord knows he's had some great ones, this might be one of his overall best offensive teams. I mean, right now, I don't think you can really capture for everybody that he's, he's playing without his starting backcourt. And you can make the argument that it's the heart and soul of this team. I mean, those two guys, what they combine to do and how, how they make their offense go, neither one is playing. And they're still winning inside the SEC right now against two not only tournament teams in Alabama and LSU, but Alabama and LSU can win in March. They can advance in the tournament. So you just think about that. But interesting stat. Right now, they're number two in America in offensive rebound rebounding number two doesn't feel that way because they're so skilled like they're so skilled and it's almost like everybody's pointing towards that being the difference between this year's kentucky but yet they're still number two in america in offensive rebounding and rob when you're number two in america in offensive rebounding usually you shoot a ton of free throws they shoot like 291 most free throws in america so Like if you'd say, what does that mean? When they get the offensive rebound, they dunk the ball, they score. Like this isn't like a offensive rebound, pump fake, pump fake, two guys tackle you. This is a guy like Oscar and Arch has talked about it all year. He is so different. He gets that offensive rebound and goes up and it's a finish. But they combine toughness, skill, depth, experience. They can do it inside. They're really good in transition. And right now they're a top five team top five team in offensive efficiency in the country, and they're in a fun team to watch play. I I know like you always, as a coach, say, what team would you not want to see in your bracket on Selection Sunday? I would not want to see Kentucky in my bracket.
3: Yeah, I'd say this, a fully healthy Kentucky team entering the tournament. I will pick them to go to the Final Four. Yeah, And if you said, what's the difference in missing two guards right now, If you said, hey, you could sit Wheeler and Ty-Ty, you got to sit those two or you got to sit Oscar tonight versus LSU. You can have the two guards or you can have Oscar. I'd sit the two guards and have Oscar. That's how important he is to what's going on. If Oscar gets in foul trouble or Oscar knock on wood isn't available, Kentucky have a hard time advancing past the first round in the tournament. That's how valuable he is to their team. And I think like –
4: Kentucky is a smart basketball team. They've always had a great coach, but you can only make 18 year old and 19 year old, really talented players, you know, so adept at everything you need to in the game in nine months, six months. And, you know, it's like, it's always been like, you, you know, sometimes they had to win in spite of their inexperience in the past. They now have experience and they are smart. They can win a lot of different ways, like time score situations They seem to make the clever right play and I'm not even talking about their defense. I just think that their offense is at another level.
2: Yeah. One, one thing I do think is worth noting with them is that if you look at teams like Gonzaga and you look at teams like Villanova and you look at some of these other great programs, they'll bring in touted freshmen and let them kind of sit on the bench for a year. You know, Nolan Hickman and Hunter Salas aren't really doing all that much for Gonzaga right now. When they made it to the final four in 2017 uh, Zach, whatever his name is, the guy that ended up going top 10. He didn't really do much for him in the front court the, enti- the entire season. And this year, you look at some of these freshmen, Damian Collins, Bryce Hopkins, these guys aren't really doing all that much this season. But when they're called upon, they're ready when they come in because they're not being forced into playing min- too many minutes early on, right? Does that make sense? No, You're I mean,
3: it's a complete um, opposite of what they asked their freshmen to do a year ago. They asked their freshmen to be great in, a, in an unthinkable you know, situation of not having summer school, not having all, all the, the normal lead-up time, and, and those guys had to learn their licks through the course of the year. You know, And this year is a lot different. Think about this. They had their two backcourt out, so Mintz and Grady are their two guys that are going to play primary ball handlers. Calvin Grady is a 2,000-point scorer in college, and Mintz is a six-year senior who started his career off at Creighton in the Big East. I mean, that's a nice luxury to have as your third and fourth wheel, so to speak, when Ty Ty and Wheeler aren't out there handling the ball. So they got a great blend. They got great role distribution. And, um, you know, it's Sean's point tonight against LSU, who arguably all season has been statistically one of the best defenses in the country. Without those two guys tonight, they scored 48 points in the second half. Mm -hmm. So there's some points. there's some
4: teams that are really good that if you're starting backcourt was ineligible for the game, you may not score 50 points or 60 yeah. points. Like, and everybody would would understand. Like, back to back up my point, if you look at Kentucky and only SEC play, they're so far superior as the number one offensive team in the SEC over Auburn. It really isn't close. And yet, right now in the SEC, and I think some of it is Kentucky's injuries. They're the fifth best defensive team. So it shows you how overwhelming their offense is in conference play. And I think it's, it's exciting. If I were a Kentucky fan, man, you just keep your fingers crossed that you can enter March Madness as healthy as you can be because if you put it all together and, you know, you have a confident group, I mean, they can, uh, they can make a big run. And I think their experience and their offense set them apart right now.
3: I think that the tournament committee and we'll see how the next two and a half weeks go, they should be a one seed over Kansas. And I know Kansas is going to win the big 12, probably outright, which means that, you know, they should be a one seed, but in watching Kentucky play them and my watching Kentucky move through the season, if Kentucky's healthy, they're a one seed. now. Maybe it's not a big difference, but maybe it is a big difference in who they draw as the two seed or who they would draw as the one seed. But Kentucky right now can play for a one seed. I mean, I don't know if they'll be able to, to run the table with these guys out or whatnot, but in my opinion, Kentucky is a one-seeded team. They're, they're, they're a team right now that's that's been trending the right direction for a long and, and time. And
4: Rob, Rob, you brought it up, and
3: I think it's really a great
4: point you made you know, I think everybody has been captivated by the Auburn story. And I understand based on where they were a year ago as well. I mean, they self-imposed. And even if they didn't self-impose, they were not in the tournament a year ago. And they added a lot of different players. I mean, that weren't even on Auburn's team last year. And now they're Auburn's best players this year. And Bruce Pearl is an excellent coach. But like, why is he different than, than Calipari? Why would he be put in a different category than John Calipari when you consider where Kentucky would have been a year ago, the injuries that they've had to overcome and where they're playing and how well they're playing right now. I mean, you said it uh, in the coach of the year conversation. It's worth pointing out that Kentucky's head coach and what he's done deserves to be in that same conversation. It's just facts. I mean, it's, it's just, it's black and white. There's no emotion to it. It's not that like, he has the pick of the litter and nobody else does. It's what Kentucky has become this year is really exciting. It's fun to watch. I I think at
3: the end of the day, as crazy as this sounds, I I don't know. Auburn has three games left. They're at Tennessee, at Mississippi State, and South Carolina. The game at Tennessee is going to be an absolute bear for them. Kentucky is in a similar situation with their schedule with three left, and they're at Arkansas, which will be equally a bear this weekend but they have uh Mississippi at home and at Florida. I can make the case depending on how these next couple Kentucky may win the sec outright over Auburn. As crazy as all that sounds. I mean, they may win the league outright with the remaining three games. If they do that, Kentucky if should they, be a one seed.
2: Yeah. They have to, they have to win at Arkansas, which is going to be a difficult thing to do, but listen, we gotta, we gotta pay the bills really quick coming up next. We're going to talk about Duke and we're going to talk about Michigan who was playing with a, fill-in head coach
3: nice
2: are <laughs> clear i waited so long to get that joke in there
3: <laughs> phil martelli oh, he was he was, um uh, he was really good after the game
2: yeah that was hey i'll, I'll tell you this much man the uh the, the fact that that ed cooley didn't get the 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 thing about taylor swift is so funny to me
4: Because <laughs> that's a big theme in their arena right everybody yeah, in they, the world is it at, talking yep. about yeah
2: they they sing it at the end of the four. All right, Dagan, Do we have any questions coming in from the chat right y- now? Yes,
1: we do. We were just talking about Kentucky. Jared Williams said, "Could Kentucky actually beat Duke in a rematch?"
3: Yeah. Yes, they're better than I. I, I, I shouldn't say. I shouldn't one say better, but they're way different than they were in the first game versus where Duke was, and I, I, I think that Kentucky would go in as the favorite.
2: Yeah, he would absolutely go in as the favorite, as like a probably a two and a half point favorite in that game. All right, one more quick one. Uh, who is the best coach on the West Coast?
3: He's sitting right on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm a
4: former coach. I'm not, I don't care.
3: He's don't sitting count. on the screen right now. Look at, it, that, look, at that, quit, look at that Pretty winning percentage.
4: <laughs> yeah, let me, let me say this. I'll answer that. There's quite a few of them, more than everybody realizes. Mark Few right now is head and shoulders through his accomplishments, sitting at number one. But Mick Cronin, uh, Tommy Lloyd as a first-year coach, um, Dana Allman. Ten seconds. He's not having the season. He usually does, but he's one of the great coaches in the game Mm -hmm. at Oregon. Great. Yep. There you go.
2: And we are back. It is the field of 68 After Dark. My name is Rob Doss. I have Sean Miller and Archie Miller with me. We are live on Sirius XM channel 84. That is the ESPNU station. We are streaming on YouTube. If you're watching over there, hit that like button, jump in the chat, ask us some questions. We will be doing the After Dark Afters in just about. 10 minutes we have two things i want to get to here in this final segment guys i want to start with uh with duke they went into john paul jones arena they knocked off virginia tonight and they did it on a night when paolo was uh two for 13 from the floor aj griffin big big plays down the stretch jeremy roach made big plays down the stretch uh it feels like we haven't really had a proper conversation about this duke team um, in a couple of weeks, mostly because the ACC is not really all that good. Uh, but where are you guys right now with this group, Sean? And uh, how, how worried are you about, you know, some of the there's there's definite question marks about their point guard play.
4: The guy that I love on Duke's team is Mark Williams. Uh, I thought he shined in November in some of the early showcase games when they played Gonzaga and Kentucky and he hasn't stopped. He gives them something that not all Duke's, Duke teams have had in the past. And that's some of the great teams uh, that have ever been in college in, in college basketball in the ACC. I mean, he, he just has that presence of changing shots at the rim, you know, dunking alley-oops, dunking second shots, finishing at the basket. And that physical presence, uh, you know, I, I think when you talk about, we're talking about Oscar and and Christian Coloco or Walker Kessler and those types of players, you know, it's important to have someone like him. And I love his presence. I think mean, he, he helps Duke on both offense and defense. Uh, also seems to be such a high character guy, somebody that, that has been through the wars, you know, not, not just showing up a few months back. And uh, And I like that ingredient on Duke's team. You know, what you can poke holes in, there's always things that we could poke holes in almost on every team that's good in this country, but I love what he brings to the table. And I think that element really helps
3: them.
2: Where are you at with Duke Arch?
3: I think Duke's, you know, really, really good, but, um, the consistency of their, their guard, you know, point guard play is one thing, but just their guard play in general. You know, I think, Jeremy Roach had a great game tonight. He had 15 points, probably one of his best games. He shot the ball three for three from three. Uh, but they're relying on really Keels and Moore to do the bulk of their playmaking, end of clock scoring. And it's not natural for those guys as much as it would be for maybe, you know, a true point. But when, they, when you stack them up and, and you look at Paulo, Mark Williams, Griffin, and Wendell Moore, That's as talented as a a quadrant of guys that you're going to play against in terms, not only physical, but how talented they are on both ends of the floor. And if they can get adequate, good, solid play, they only turned the ball over eight times tonight. And that win that they had, I know Virginia, you know, isn't having the Virginia esque year, but most people will tell you right now, Virginia is one of the hardest places to win in college basketball, The crowd, the environment, especially when Duke's going in there, coach K's coming down the stretch. I mean, that game tonight for Duke, that win, that was an impressive win that they just had. I mean, that is a hard win that they just had. And, uh, you know, they're heading towards a regular season conference championship first in a, in a few, few years. Not then, a few uh, years. 12 more years. Than a decade. Decade.
4: Go ahead, Rob. Mm-hmm. The last time Duke won an ACC regular season championship and didn't share it was when?
2: 2006. It's a long time. That's 16 years. Archie was still playing point guard at NC state then.
3: No, but I was in 2006. (laughs) I was in the league that year. And, uh, um, I remember, I mean, it's, it's hard to believe, to be honest with you. It just, but it's when
4: it's when the experience flipped, right. Instead of having Shane Battier for four years, you know, today's version, they've had a lot of Shane Battiers for one year. And, in and I'll tell you, if you think about it right now, they have five losses. I mean, you can vividly remember three of them, right? Miami, Florida State and Virginia. One point, one point in overtime and two points. Two of the three, it was almost like a head-scratcher that they lost, you right. know, especially mm-hmm. the Miami game at home. So, I mean, you look at their remaining schedule. They play Syracuse, Pitt, North Carolina. The first two are on the road, North Carolina's at home. They have a real chance of being 29-5. and five. The ACC is not good. It's historically the worst it's been maybe ever, but they've played such a good non-conference slate in addition to it. I mean, they played Gonzaga, they played Kentucky, they have played at Ohio State, that it's hard not to see Duke. Can Duke get to the final four this year, Rob? Absolutely. Again, if you, they're not a one seed, you don't want to see Duke in your bracket. You don't want to see Kentucky in your bracket.
2: Yeah, I, I just want to put in context how, how long ago. This was that Duke has had won a, a regular season title. Jared Dudley was on the Boston College team that was a four seed that finished third in the conference that year. That's how long. Jared Dudley's been in the NBA so long that he's now the guy that gets contracts just to sit at the end of the bench and be a good locker room guy. And I think Ed Cooley...
3: Ed Cooley would have been the assistant. I was an assistant at NC state and Cooley was an assistant at Boston college. And that, that that's how long it goes.
2: Yep. All (laughs) right. I do want to, I do want to ask you guys a little bit about Michigan. They, uh, they bounced back from uh, the fight, obviously um, on Sunday to win at home against Rutgers. They have a brutal end of season coming up. Uh, Phil Martelli stepped in and got himself a nice little win as the, uh, the, I guess, interim, the replacement, however you want to phrase it, head coach. Um, for Jawan howard while he serves his five game suspension we got about four minutes left here so uh, what how how hard is that for for a coach to step in uh, an assistant and associate to step in and and kind of run the program like that and how valuable is it to have someone with the experience arch of of a phil martelli who coached st joe's for roughly 436 years
3: i would just i would just say this that if, if you weren't going to coach as the head coach and Phil Martelli was going to step in, in many cases, he's probably better than you were anyway. I mean, that's how good of a coach Phil Martelli is. And uh, I listened to him after they won the game and he gave all the praise, obviously, to their staff. But I think when you think of Michigan, Juwan's a very dominant personality. I think Juwan does an amazing job with his own players. He has his own mark on that team and how they play. Um, but I think that, you know, Phil's the perfect guy to be able to just, Calm that storm real quick and uh, they played terrific in a big game versus Rutgers. Both teams need the game. They, they handled them. And, uh, but Phil Martelli, I mean, I respect him as much as anybody just because I watched him up close and personal. The fact that they fired him at St. Joe's was a travesty and uh, they should fire somebody at St. Joe's and bring him back. If he wanted to come. You
4: no, know, I, I, I coached against Phil Martelli five years as a head coach, and then a total of eight years in the Atlantic 10. And uh, when I was there, that was when he was in his prime. They had Jameer, and they had a team that actually went wire to wire, undefeated. I think they they ended in the Elite Eight or Sweet 16 that year. But uh, he's an amazing coach. He's a great person. He's also a very confident basketball person and coach. And I think his confidence will really resonate with the situation that he inherited. He's not only just obviously a head coach for decades and knows the game and can serve well there, but, you know, in that situation, everybody needs a boost of confidence. You know, you can, you can lose it when multiple players aren't playing and, you know, their, their head coach isn't available and, you know, the media and some of the stories that are written about you aren't good. It's nice to be able to have somebody who can inject not only uh the X's and O's and the preparation part, but that belief. And when you listen to Phil Martelli talk, it always was striking to me when he coached at St. Joe's, how sure of himself he was and his teams fed off of that. And I think you'll see that Michigan will finish strong. Very Very strong.
2: strong. Arch, they need to finish strong because this is their remaining schedule. Uh, They will be all right. Yeah, they have Illinois at home. They have Michigan State at home. They have Iowa at home. They have Ohio State on the road. Uh, they are currently 15 and 11. They're 31st in Ken Palm. They are 33rd in the net. They are 4 and one. I'm sorry, 4 and seven against quad one opponents. Their best win uh, is that home win over Purdue. They also won at Iowa, and they have two quadrant two wins with the one bad home loss to Minnesota. You got about a minute, Arch. Tell me why Michigan is going to make the tournament.
3: Michigan's going to make the tournament, I think, because they're playing the best that they've played all season. They've kind of put it together a little bit offensively. Caleb Houston was really good. I think Hunter Dickinson is as good as you get in terms of a low post presence. He knows how to play. But the fact of the matter is that three more games after this Rutgers game are going to be at home. They're going to be on a confident stretch in Chrysler. And I feel like with Illinois being a huge game, there's always a lot of hype around that game. There's a little rivalry there with Kofi and, and hunter they'll get a couple of their players back now off the suspension michigan state is reeling a little bit in chrysler they've already played them once and then they have iowa you know coming in is very good i feel like i feel like michigan is not only going to finish strong but they're going to win at least two of the next four to three of the next four and they're going to get to the tournament
2: yeah, I think that that's probably going to be what happens as well. But listen, this has been the Field of 68 After Dark. We were on XM. We are heading over to the YouTube After. So for Sean Miller, for Archie Miller, for our producer Kono, my name is Rob Doster. Thanks for being here. And you're clear. All right. We are in the Afters. But before we dive into it, guys, we are still live. I just need to ask you guys one thing. What's more important than peace of mind? Nothing. That's what NordVPN is here for, to give you peace of mind while you are online. And with all the threats that you face today on the internet, it is more important than ever to be sure that you have the best VPN that you can get. NordVPN is the world's best VPN service, offering fast, the fastest connectivity most servers and next-gen encryption to make sure that everything you do online stays secure. Plus, you can use NordVPN on all of your computers and all of your devices, no matter the operating system. With NordVPN's unlimited bandwidth, you never have to worry about a slow connection. And plans start at under $4 a month. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash believe or use the code Believe that is B-L-E-A-V to get 70% off your Nord VPN plan plus one additional month for free. That is uh that is NordVPN.com slash believe B-L-E-A-V. Dagan. Do we have any questions coming in from the chat for the afters?
1: Uh I'm looking in here. There's not there's not a ton of questions. There is some talk about the 2015 Duke Championship though. Um, So that's interesting that we got. I was wondering
3: who won the ACC in 2015 when Duke won the national championship.
2: I believe that that was Virginia. I think it was Virginia. Yeah. Virginia won. They went 16 to two. They won in 2014, 2015. Who won the
3: ACC championship when Zion Williamson was on the team?
2: Virginia. My goodness. Well, the uh, Virginia and North Carolina shared it. Duke was 14 to four that year.
3: Think I mean, about Zion got hurt. He got That's hurt, right. Zion, it. Got hurt.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Zion got hurt. Zion wow. got hurt. Wow. You think thinking contrast to those teams that we're just talking about and where the ACC is right now.
2: Yeah. Think about this, Arch. John Shire next season is going to be the head coach of the Duke Blue Devils. The last time they won a share of the ACC regular season title. He was a senior point guard on that team. He was think
4: good about a heck dude. of a player.
2: He was a good he's, player.
4: He's somewhat underrated because uh, he didn't have that career beyond Duke in the NBA, but as a college
3: player, man, he was a stud. He
2: was, he was good. Not, not very well liked at, uh, at Maryland, I can tell you that much. That's okay. Sure.
3: He's in a long list of other legends. That, <laughs> that were not liked at Maryland. That were not liked at Maryland. I, so I,
2: I have a question for you guys. I'm going to put this on. Um, if you are drafting right now, you're an NBA team, you're drafting. Are you taking A.J. Griffin or Paolo Bancaro first? Not first overall, just between those two. Who are you you picking? Who do you like more?
3: Go ahead, Sean. I
4: think Paolo, because of his size, you know, just the 82-game grind, it really hit me when DeAndre left Arizona and I watched him in his rookie year, just how difficult 82 games is for somebody that's 19 or 20 years old uh i mean and just just i mean then you start thinking about okay you watch him play against you know the joker on monday and then you know on wednesday you watch him and he's playing against you know so and so and it's just like oh my god you know and I, I, so i just think that paulo at six nine the way he runs jumps his size on day one entering the league will really be a benefit to whatever franchise he gets. And I think that his skill level in game fits today's NBA, Rob, you know, you can move him around, like what position is he It kind of doesn't matter. And those guys are thriving in today's game. Um, mm-hmm. And I, and I would say that, you know, we, we had this long argument, how many times, who are you picking first Chet uh, you know, the guy at Auburn, or you, or you picking Paulo. And it's just like, you know, for a while there, but I, and I don't think Paulo has dropped that far. I mean, he's having an amazing year. I
3: think he's a ready-made NBA player.
4: Yeah. A.J.
3: Griffin's really done a lot though, in terms of getting healthy and what he's doing for Duke, but he's a very dynamic, interesting player. The way he shoots the ball with his length and physical straights, he's, he's really changed Duke. I mean, he's given Duke another weapon out there that like, what he did against North Carolina a few a few weeks ago at the Dean Dome it was an unbelievable performance. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, he had a couple of big ones tonight. I think he had 10 points in the final. Uh yeah, he had 13 for minutes. the game, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and he had a bunch of big shots um down the stretch. Have you ever seen someone that has a uh when he shoots, has his legs as wide as that. Someone told me the other day, he has the shooting stroke that looks like Jeff Bagwell's batting stance.
4: Remember Bagwell? <laughs> uh,
3: yeah. I tell you, he gets it off though, man. And sometimes he shoots it and you don't think it's a good shot, man, but he can really stroke it. I mean, he's by far their their best threat. I mean, they early in the year when he wasn't healthy, remember everyone was saying they're not a great shooting team. They can't really mm-hmm. shoot. It could hurt them. He he changes that with with, with what he does for them.
2: Yeah, for sure. Uh, Dagan, anything to yes. jump up in the chat? Yes,
1: sir. So there's some some starting to, to fill in. Will wants to know, can Arkansas win the SEC tournament? We need to talk about the Razorbacks and Mama Hog tonight. So,
3: <laughs> Mama Hog. I, I, I think Arkansas is as hot as any team in the country. Um, and if they have a, a great seed with a bye, which I'm sure they're probably heading towards not having to play four days in, in a row, I would say that Arkansas, no doubt, can win the SEC championship uh, with what they're doing. Are they the favorite? Probably not. But right now, I, I just said this earlier, I don't know what their seed will be in the NCAA tournament, but I would hate to draw them in like a, you know, a one four or whatever it could possibly be, a three six, whatever it may be, their seed is relevant. I mean, and I just think right now they're, 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 they're defending. They have a great perimeter player who played in an elite eight game last year. I mean, they have some experience there that have won, and Arkansas is dangerous. You know, one thing that I would say to that question, Will from Arkansas,
4: and, and, you know, with COVID and the pauses that have happened and how many games that some of these teams have had to play over the last several weeks, I don't know if you want your team playing all the way to the conference tournament championship game and winning it. I'm not so sure that that's actually going to be helpful towards them advancing in the NCAA tournament. So I guess it depends on what you're trying to accomplish, but you have to be careful. I mean, in UCLA's case, they're playing six games in 12 days. And at the end of those 12 days, they then go to the Pac-12 tournament. I mean, they have to be careful. I mean, you can only play so many games in a short duration. The next thing you know, you're going to enter, you're going to enter the NCAA tournament out of gas. That's always been a debate. You know, some coaches don't really, really embrace the conference tournaments as much as others. But this year in particular, I think it's an interesting thing to bring up when you look at how hard February has been on the players and the coaches, how many games in a short period of time they've played. And then now you go to the conference tournament, you have to be careful. You lose early, get some rest. And uh, you've had a great season already. That might be more important.
3: Unless you're Kemba Walker. Yeah. Didn't matter to him. That's right. and yeah. you win like 10 in 14 days.
2: <laughs> yeah, he doesn't he doesn't get tired. He doesn't nope. get tired. What else we got, Dagan?
1: Yeah, another one just came in here. MC Lee. I missed it. Oh, how many big East teams make the second weekend?
3: How many I... big East teams make it to the second weekend? I'm gonna say, um, I'm gonna say they're gonna get two. What two, Arch? I'm going with uh, the Providence Friars and the Villanova Wildcats. Wow! Oh, Actually, I will also say this: it's it, it potentially could be three and add add uh, UConn in there as well. But I think they're <laughs> they're good they're good enough to get two team drop.
2: I, I I guilt I tripped him into uh, giving me a pity vote for UConn.
3: <laughs> UConn's playing. So, What's UConn's remaining schedule? Because it'll be interesting to see where they can
2: get a seed. Yeah, so they're they're at Georgetown. Then they're at Creighton, and then they get to Paul at home. So the the toughest part of their schedule was the the stretch Over. that they just had. Yeah, and they went five and two in that stretch, right. which I didn't think. I, I was I was hoping for four out of those seven, four wins out of those seven. They went five and two. Now they should probably go two and one of these. I, I don't think that they're going to be able to go into Creighton and win, but it might be different when you don't have uh uh Ryan Nemhart, uh, Ryan, uh yeah Ryan Nemhart out there. So. Mm-hmm. That mean, that's that that's no, a shame I, if he's out I, for saw, a while. I
4: saw I saw Yukon on a bad night live. You know, I was at the at at Xavier Yukon game, and Xavier played well and beat Yukon. And I don't think they played well on that night. And then they bounced back, went to St. John's in one. And it almost seems, Rob, from that at St. John's game, they've had it. Like they've been on a roll, they're playing their best, they're playing together. Um but you just the ability to share the ball on offense and spacing and transition, and it just it's it becomes more and more important as you get down into March. And they're going to have to really do that better, I think, to advance. To Tyler, your question. Tyler, no
3: Paulie, no. big key. Mm-hmm. Yep.
2: Paulie and uh, Polly and Jordan Hawkins. You need one of those guys to be able to get you three or four threes every night. You need you need those guys to make shots. So. What else we got, Dagan?
1: Anything else? Yeah, here's one from Marshall. What games do UNC have to lose to miss the tournament? And right now at Fielding the 68, they're the second team out of the field.
3: What games do they have to lose to yes, miss that, the tournament? That's what it says. <laughs> that's obviously say, say, a Duke fan. They can't <laughs> lose any game in the regular – I mean, they have to They have to run the table in a regular season, and if they don't, they're going to have to win at least two in the ACC tournament.
4: So that's an example of a team that wants to utilize the ACC or their respective conference tournament to their advantage. Certainly in that situation you do, but if you're Providence and you're some of these teams that has had an historic season, I'm not so sure, you know, playing four games in a big East tournament or three games and, you know, finishing late on a Saturday night. And then all of a sudden being shipped off to the NCAA tournament is the same this year as it's been because of, the numerous games in a row, everybody's had to play in and almost well, get in. in but a pro, but Providence,
2: Providence, Providence doesn't get any of that. They didn't reschedule any of the games they lost because they got COVID after everybody. So their last game of the season is in six days is next Tuesday. Right. They don't that's play next one thing, weekend.
4: Rob, that's one thing that helps Gonzaga. You know, mm-hmm. you think about it like St. Mary's, you know, talked about great coaches in the West coast, Randy Bennett, St. Mary's and St. Mary's I think will be the number two seed in the WCC. But think about this though. Gonzaga plays at St. Mary's on Saturday. If there's ever a a chance for them to lose at St. Mary's is that chance that that games this coming Saturday. But when that ends the following week, their conference tournament begins and then they have a chance to take a deep breath, recuperate, make sure they're the most healthy. And I think when you're as talented as Gonzaga, that really helps you.
2: Yep. All right, Dagan, we got anything else? Yes. I'll give you
1: one more. No, um, okay. I think I just lost it though. So Hold on. Oh, here we go. How far of a run can the Badgers go in March? We didn't talk any Wisconsin today.
3: Mm. Wisconsin, you know, I think is one of those teams that doesn't get a lot of the, the power or the sexy, you know, talk, but right now they lead the big 10 conference. They won Maui. Um, they have an all American on their team. In Providence, or I'm sorry, in Wisconsin is at at worst, you know, depending on a three seed to four seed. Maybe if they would do something crazy and win the Big Ten tournament, they could slide to a two. But Wisconsin is a sweet 16 caliber team. They have toughness about them. They defend. They got a great player. And they've won a lot of big games, close games, and road games. I think, I think Wisconsin is a second weekend team type that you can count on being favored in the first two rounds.
2: I think they can get to a final four.
3: I don't know if they can get to a final four. And the only reason I would say that is there are games where offensively they struggle. They, they Mm -hmm. find that they, they don't have that second and third weapon that always shows up.
2: I just think that they can, if they can get to the second weekend, I can see Johnny Davis scoring 70 points in two games in the second weekend and just willing them to the final four, the same way that, Kemba did to get that UConn team to the final four and that Shabazz did to get that UConn team to the final. Like I, he just, to me has that vibe of this guy's like, Oh, you know what? It's the NCAA tournament. I'm a big game player. I'm going to show up and I'm going to go put 40 on number one seed Kentucky right now. The guy, Oh, Hey,
4: look, if you have the best player on the court, that always mm -hmm. favors your team. And a lot of times he is that for Wisconsin for sure.
2: Yep. So that, I mean, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to be picking them, but that would absolutely not surprise me to just see Johnny Davis go into God mode and uh, put him on his back and carry him. All right, Dagan, we got anything else or should we do three cheers? Yes. One more.
1: And I don't know if this will come up in three cheers, but I see a lot of people talking about it in the chat right now. What are your thoughts on Isaiah Brockington's 35 points tonight for Iowa state?
3: It was a huge win for them knocking off West Virginia. It probably puts a little bit of breathing room for Iowa state because the big 10 or the big 12 has been so rigorous that they they were sitting at, what, four or five conference wins, and it doesn't look as good. But he had 35 tonight. He's been their best offensive player all year. And I think this win tonight gets them over the hump and secures them as being an at-large team. And I'm here to tell you, seeing him up close and personal uh, for two years at Penn State, he is a big-time offensive player. Great score. And what he's done at Iowa State, he did at Penn State, but he's doing it You know, to me, uh, in an alpha role, which really wasn't the thing at Penn State, but he's always been this type of a player. He can get a bucket for you anytime he wants. Great mid-range shooter. Um, But he's had a great year. It was a great pickup in the portal. You know,
4: Rob, the portal, this is one of my theories. I talk to Arch about it all the time. The portal favors the new hire, the new coach, because it's a new beginning. It's a brand-new canvas, right? You sell what they want the most opportunity. Number two, if you have a great conference, right, or a good track record as a new coach, you know you become attractive for that player that's already done it at another place that he's going to roll with you. Steve Forbes at Wake Forest. Where the portal's not what everybody thinks it is, is the struggling program that's fighting just to survive because that same kid has no reason to leave where he's at And become a part of that. You know, most of the time, that's where they're leaving, not going to. And I think sometimes, you know, the misconception is that, hey, everybody can flip it in in a given year. A lot can change in a given year. But the teams that are thriving already or the new coach, and and I think that 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 really happened for TJ at Iowa State. You know, he's a brand-new beginning, Big 12 conference, a lot to sell with who he is going back to Iowa State And uh, he was able to get, get, you know, strike it rich, so to speak with that. And uh, I don't believe that's the case everywhere. And I think that that will play out. That would be
3: my prediction.
2: Yep. All right, let's do three cheers and then we can wrap this thing up. Arch, I'm going to you first. Who is your toast of the night?
3: Uh, Just goes to Ed Cooley, the Providence Friars in general, what they've done all year. You could probably three cheers them almost once a week, but tonight's game was probably arguably the best game of the season uh, to date in terms of just at watching the game. It was an incredible environment. It, there's a lot on the line in terms of them winning the Big East, them not caving in after Villanova lost last night, them finding a way to get over the hump. And they've had an incredible year. But the game tonight to find a way to win that one in triple OT uh, just speaks volumes about their squad. And cheers to Cooley, the Friars, um, Providence in general, their players, they're having a great year, but that was a big step in their quest to win the regular season title, uh, tonight.
2: So cheers to Ed. Who do you got, Sean?
3: I got two cheers. I'm going to stick with what Ooh.
4: I do. I wasn't on after dark Is it somebody last from last night. week. And I wasn't on night. after dark last night. So I need to talk about how I really feel. And I'm going to tell you Kamani what he did in pressure moments against Villanova, Jay, Wright, A lot of at stake packed house, Hartford Civic Center, and him, him and the group of, of assistant coaches, they got it done last night in a huge way for UConn. Cheers to him, and tonight, whoever was responsible for leaking the water from the roof at that point in the game, cheers to them for really getting the Friars out of what I thought was a tough predicament and just turning the game completely around.
2: Yeah, so I just got a text that said that Fanta walked up to the rafters with a cup of water and was just slowly pouring it down and no one could see him because he was hiding behind the rafters. So, <laughs> uh, cheers to the gremlins and cheers to Kamani young. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do my cheers to Bryce Hopkins. Um, he hadn't scored uh, since, I think it was December and he came in tonight off the bench, ready to play played 16 minutes, got 13 points and four boards and was a huge part of Kentucky's come from behind win. Uh, We saw Damian Collins do this where he came out of nowhere and came in and had a huge impact on uh, a win that Kentucky got at Alabama. Um, So uh, my, my toast goes out to Bryce. You couldn't have
3: have cheered a better kid. He's one of the best, best kids I've ever come across. He'll end up being a really, really good player.
2: Yeah. It was nice to see, see him kind of have his moment there. So cheers to Bryce Hopkins, cheers to Kamani young and the Yukon Huskies as a whole And cheers to Ed Cooley and uh, the Providence Friars for their win tonight. This was the Field of 68 After Dark for Archie Miller, for Sean Miller, for our producer Dagan Hughes. My name is Rob Doster. Thank you for being here.